1: how do you turn around an industry that generated more than $1.6 trillion in economic output three years ago? That's what I'm going to ask today's guest, Chris Silcock. He's the Executive Vice President, and Chief Commercial Officer at Hilton Worldwide, and an industry veteran credited with leading the company's global sales modernization process. He was also instrumental in transitioning new revenue management to a data-driven discipline. With business constantly shifting business models, analytics plays a key role in the next steps being taken right now. So learn how to connect marketing to data. Chris, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
2: Hey, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Good to be here.
1: Well, listen, take us back a few months. How did your C-suite react to the situation? You know, March 13th hit us all. It was a Friday the 13th, hit us like a big, huge Mack truck. You know, what changes did you implement? How has Hilton addressed the needs of your guests throughout this entire pandemic?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, as you said in the intro, it's um, created really unprecedented challenges for the travel and tourism industry across the the globe. The biggest thing, obviously, we've seen in our 100-year history at Hilton, And, you know, as it started to unfold, we really focused in a few important areas in those early days. Um, First, it was safety and security of team members and guests. You know, we had, uh, which, by the way, remains our number one priority. But we had to adjust our operating standards, social distancing measures into hotels quickly, following local regulations, which were changing quickly uh, by the day, Introduce masks. So our first port of call was how do we safe you know provide a safe environment for our team members and and thus our guests very quickly sorry go on no go ahead go ahead please no very quickly that transitioned into you know changing customer needs of us and one of the biggest changes they needed very quickly was flexibility you know we had all this business on the books for the next few months people had booked in some in some cases prepaid advanced purchase products and so we had to transition and change and immediately become flexible for all that business, lead the industry in allowing customers to get refunds, change everything they had with us, and, and you know just be there for what they needed in this kind of unfolding, unprecedented situation.
1: You know, and, you know, that, that was, you know, a real change for a lot of us. We had an event booked at Hilton, for instance, in May, and of course had to make the changes like everybody else. I remember the day we made the decision that we're not going to go forward with it was the same day that Hilton reached out and said, you shouldn't go forward with it. So I thought that was apropos. So as you pivoted, talk to me about analytics. How have they helped you determine the next course? For you know, for different business units, how did you use the data to say, okay, with this group we're going to do this, this group we're going to do this, this group we're going to do this?
2: Well, you know, because we have such a big enterprise, we we fortunately get to see and collect a lot of data. So we immediately saw different segments of our business performing quite differently. Um, so whilst business travel, uh, group business dropped, you know, incredibly fast and has remained quite low um we started to see signals from leisure travellers even during the height of the pandemic that they were desperate you know to get out and get away although they were travelling with different patterns whereas they used to go to big resorts or to you know big cities we saw a, a migration to within 2 or 300 miles of their home and they just wanted very last minute the ability to drive stay overnight have a different environment a slightly different experience to, to have a break from what had become the monotony of home. Uh, and mm-hmm. so using that data, you know, we very quickly launched you know, products specifically focused at that customer, highly value-driven, huge flexibility, so if their plans change, they could change, uh, and available and focused on some of the benefits they want, like, like late check-in uh, or early check-in, late departure, you know, to target that leisure traveler.
1: You know, back when I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, I appointed the chief data architect. I said, look, we gotta have a you know, some kind of system for this because you know I used to joke that if if somebody asked me for a list of the thousand customers of some of our biggest machines that we sold in the commercial printing industry, and you were gonna kidnap my children and threaten to shoot them, I just say, shoot them because I can't come up with that list, you know, no matter, of my biggest customers, my top thousand customers. So how, how do you guys organize that? How are you organizing with all these different properties? How are you putting together that architectural system for data?
2: Yeah. I mean, fortunately we, whilst our our business, which is a business of people serving people is distributed, you know, at the point of kind of experience. You know, all the booking and the data flow is is centralized. So we get to see and capture all of that data. Um, We're we're in the process of transitioning, you know, from what was a transactional type environment to a real-time event-based architecture, which means, you know, not only can we pick up on changes, you know, that happened yesterday, today, and react accordingly, but now we can actually decision real-time. When a customer does X, what is the appropriate next based action based on what our, you know, data available is in that moment about them and about what others are doing at that point in time? So are you really able to do that, though, Chris? I mean, and, and I'm not I'm
1: a little bit skeptical because, listen, like I'm a I'm a, a, a big traveler travel. You guys one of the top, you know, like, for instance, when I switch from one airline and I'm moving a couple hundred thousand miles a year on one airline to another airline i can remember i was a top 1% of their customer base moved to another airline and no one ever called me you know right. which to me the second they see my mileage go like this and then drop to nothing i would think a red alarm would go off at headquarters you know for that top 1%
2: do you have that ability to be able to track people like that so, and, and I, I did say we're in the process of transitioning to event-based. <laughs> <laughs> so to be clear, um, yeah. and and there are degrees of, right? So yeah. the, the first is simpler. You can start to personalize the experience based on, you know, common attributes of a customer, where they're coming in from, what they've shopped in the past. Then you can move to, hey, I actually know you as a customer, and therefore I can start to react to you and then in the future, it will be. I know you as a customer, and I know what's going on in the environment around you and the hotels you're, you know, trying to book into. And so I can react in a much in a much more contextual way, you know. Just like eventually, and we can't do this yet, but the architecture we're setting up will enable us to, you know, when somebody arrives in the hotel, we would like the you know customer service agent to be able to talk to them with context, right? I know that your flight's been delayed, so you're likely in a bad mood. So I'm gonna do X to you know make the experience, you know, and relieve stress for you. Or I know this has happened in your journey or in your past with this booking. You know, that's the route we're on. We're not there.
1: You know, and some people would say that has a creepiness factor, right? Mm-hmm. to it, to some extent, but I don't look at it like that. I just think that you look at me, you're, you're taking care of me. You know, if you walk into a restaurant, a waiter kind of, and you, that, that you you frequent often, they know what you like, they know what drink you like. So they set my scotch down before I even asked for it because they know that I'm going to ask for it. I think to me, that's just good attention to details, but how do you think you're going to have to overcome that when you Start utilizing that kind of tech, that contextualization.
2: Yeah, and I mean, we 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 um, deal with that today. Obviously, data and how it's used and shared is an incredibly important, you know, topic. Uh, and we have we have the benefit, in some degree, that customers for a hundred years have trusted us with where they sleep at night. You know, so that's a much more okay. kind of uh, trustworthy relationship. They trust us to keep them safe physically, and so we've found that they're less worried about sharing data with us. And ultimately, when we do things with data that customers have given us permission to do, the great thing about data is you get to work out if they like it really quickly. Because if they like it, you see further engagement and, and, and further share a wallet. And if, if they don't, they tell you or they stop engaging. Do you have, you have the discussions
1: around what fine line you might cross? For instance, I'll give you an, one thing number of years ago, I went and stayed and was given a speech at some place, stayed at this one hotel. They looked at my social profile, printed out pictures of my wife and I, and put them in all the photo frames in the room. And I said, well, that's cool because I'm showing up with my wife. But what if I'd have been somebody else and showed up with somebody else, right? right. That yeah. might not be so cool, or I just got divorced or something like that. So do you, do you work on what that line might look like?
2: Yeah, and we're trying to... um provide the choice and control to the customer. Right. Mm. So if we can enable digital displays in rooms and enable a customer to walk in and throw three pictures onto the walls, then that's great. I'm not sure that's a choice we should make on their behalf. Yeah. I think
1: that's a a big, important piece. You mentioned earlier, you talked about group, the group business. And, you know, I'm very interested in that event group business. How are you encouraging the rebound for the event business? Is there, you know are you pushing it yet are you waiting for it you're waiting for the green light? are you guys you know like all on the on the start line ready to go with with chairs to set out i mean what's it look like for you guys
2: yeah you know very similar to our bedroom business where early on we had to define this new standard of clean to give customers confidence and we launched clean stay which kind of reassured customers you know there'd be a seal on their door they knew no one else had been in their room you know TV remote by the way, show. that's
1: that that was really cool. I've never i I walked in at Hilton Garden Inn and there was a seal on the door. And okay. it was like, you know, hermetically sealed. and I knew that if I you know, and when I came back, you know, because they said, hey, would you mind if we don't clean it the next day or so because of the you know mm-hmm. the pandemic? It was cool. Uh, but then at one point, I said, no, could you really clean it? And they went back in and resealed it again. I thought that was a really cool feature, by the way.
2: Oh, good. No, I'm glad, uh, glad you've seen that. And, and that kind of, as well as enhanced cleaning in the room, that gives customers confidence. No one's been in. It is clean. And then if they don't want it cleaned during the stay, it's their room for the whole stay. Yeah. Nobody else is going to go in it. But you know, that was on the bedroom side. We had to do the same in the event side. So we created, after listening to customers, something called event ready which really focused on a few things. One, cleanliness protocols, again, for the meeting space, to make sure that customers were confident, their meeting room would be sealed, all the high touch, high frequency areas are cleaned at a high frequency. We needed to change our flexibility policies because for people right now to feel confidence to book They need to feel confident that if the situation changes, we'll be there and we'll help them. We will change their plans. We'll refund as necessary. Rebook for another date. And then we had to create protocols for you know safe and socially responsible meetings. So, how many people can you have in a room now? How does the layout have to change? How do we do F and B in a way that you feel safe? So individual portions sealed, not buffets. um, And how do we enable a more contactless meeting experience. And we've done all that. We launched it in a, in a kind of playbook, um, which is being seen as kind of the standard now. And we're starting to see green shoots of group and meeting business. Don't think it will be a widespread recovery till Q2, Q3, Q4 next year. But as you said, people are starting to you know, do small meetings, because they have to. Right. They want to see people. They want to interact. They want to do business.
1: Uh, just, just from a human perspective, we want to, and for business, we have to. Uh, it's a, at a point where you can't, you can't just go in a cocoon. We can't just go back. We have to get America back to work, and I think that's an important thing. C Suite Radio. Now, one of the other things I noticed about you guys, and I just think, wow, this is amazing. You've opened up a hundred hotels. That's more than seventeen thousand rooms during this pandemic. How the Hell, were you
2: able to do this? Yeah, well, you know, many of those will have been in, uh, you know, construction and planning for for a long time, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, opening a hotel to some degree is a smaller set of people than filling it with customers. Um, so it was still able to go in ahead uh, in a safe way, and, and we worked out, you know, what's been a positive of this pandemic is it's caused us to innovate. So. Whereas in the past, we'd send a team to the hotel to do a number of things. We've worked out how to do that more effectively, uh, cost effectively for the owner uh, and effectively for our team members remotely. So install technology, uh, train team members on systems and standards. Um, but you know our, our pipeline, which is you know, over 2,000 hotels strong, will we'll just continue to open those hotels uh, because you know, owners have invested in them. And we know it's important to our customers when they start to travel again, that distribution network, having a hotel available wherever they want to travel is a key benefit of a kind of network like ours.
1: You know, it's been interesting to talk to C-suite leaders during the pandemic like yourself. And and one of the most interesting pieces, how hands-on you are right now, compared to what I would consider a year ago, um, or maybe two years ago. Where, you know, you're caught up more in meetings. I know what that's like having been in that C-suite. We're always in meetings, we're in meetings, we're in meetings, we're in meetings, you have, you know, meetings, you have people to just book your meetings. I mean, but but it seems to me that, and from what I'm hearing from you is you, you've been out in the field a little bit more than normal that's what i would guess and uh, you know i was talking to julie rome from party city and the ceo of crunch fitness you know you're actually to the point where you're putting up the plexiglass to some extent you know in between the the you know the folks at reception so tell me how much hands on you're doing
2: yeah i mean in slightly different ways than you described but it became very hands on because you know at the height of the pandemic Everybody was furloughing team members. We were the same. You know, you had to, first of all, care for the core business and make sure the cost structure was right during that, that period. Um, and we had to be very focused, a smaller team and a really critically important set of priorities. That, that meant we were all closer to the action. And funny enough, what we heard from our teams was they loved that operating model, right? We were moving quicker. We were making faster decisions. We were... You know, getting things done quicker that they felt proud of. And so whilst the world around them was crazy, it created a huge bump in culture and motivation for a bunch of our teams who felt they were doing good, meaningful, valuable work. An example, you know, we realized early on, we have 6,000 locations around the world. We need to use them to help the communities where there are frontline medical team members who are struggling. Yeah. So we partnered with Amex, We pledged a million free rooms uh, to frontline medical team members. We pulled that off within three weeks and had people staying in free rooms over that period, which was incredible speed, incredible purpose for our team members and a great result for the communities and the medical team members. Yeah.
1: And And be commended for that because, you know, just that commute home. You know for some of those folks, and I know in New York it was really needed uh, where you know for an extra hour they could get that sleep they needed, that rest they needed because of you know first responders. amazing. You know uh, Chris, you were credited with leading the company's global sales modernization process. what What was that process like? and you know what was the prompt? It wasn't just the pandemic. um but what was that what was that that drove that for Hilton?
2: Yeah, and it, it, that started, you know, several years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, we we have uh, had um, what I would think is one of the best sales forces, and, and in that I mean relationship people, right? People who are close to their customers, understand their customers, and work to help the customers achieve their objectives. You know, ever since I remember, and I've been with the company, you know, twenty plus twenty plus years, wow. um, but. What we hadn't done is gone on the journey of modernizing how they work, how they're deployed, how we alter their deployment using data and analytics, how we give them tools so that they can uh, better collect um, information about their customers so it's an enterprise asset versus an individual salesperson's asset. Um, So we set out on that journey several years ago. One, ensure that um, we keep those... Salespeople close to the customer. So we wanted to be careful on deployment, but we needed to make deployment more driven by analytics. You know, what customers are delivering what, what customers want, what kind of deployment they want from us against them. We then, you know, purchased technology, did the change management of implementing standard global systems so that all of a sudden, you know, any global company, we could see, you know, how they were performing across our business and an account manager in Shanghai. Could connect with an account manager in New York, and you know have a, uh, a more holistic relationship. Um, uh, and we set on a you know path to drive the motivation. Right? How do we deliver a platform that makes our sales team members want to go the next level? Uh, and we called it Rise, Thrive, and soar. First, we wanted to rise to the channel. We wanted to enable them to thrive. Um, so, you know, recognize work-life balance, still do a great job, but thrive in the environment that they're successful. And then how can we make them soar? So being the best in the business looks easy, like, uh, you know, a bird high in the air and we're still on that journey. Oh,
1: uh, that was the same thing for the C-Suite Network. It said we're going to strive and thri- thrive and drive is what we we're going to do. Thrive yeah. and drive, you know, that's the name of the game. And then grow. I added the word growth, you know, because I think that's what we have to also do. And there's been some businesses that have actually done extremely well during the pandemic and others we certainly know have not, but it's part of... The reinvention. I've been part of companies like that at Eastman Kodak for sure. You know, you mentioned um, one of the things that you learned through this process was how to be quicker, how to make decisions. And that was a really a good byproduct. Do you think that's going to stick with you past this pandemic or are you going to snap back to the old ways?
2: We, we are trying really hard to um, identify what were the operating models, the process of the features that enabled that to be that way. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say we've you know, completely nailed the secret sauce yet because more, as more team members come back, as the business starts to grow, it's very easy you know, to slip back into um, old ways. But we're determined to try and learn from this pandemic and, and make some of those aspects of how we do business ever more. So are you working from home more? Yeah, I mean uh, our offices are open but very, very flexible. Very few people are using that at the moment, uh, and we're fine with that. We've certainly learned that we can work more remotely. However, we are a hospitality business. We are a business of people serving people. So lots of our people like to be with people. So uh, we expect to see people back in offices when they feel comfortable. What's been
1: the hardest part for you as an executive? What What's the hardest part of this for you?
2: Um, you know, at first, it was quite hard, you know, operating as an executive committee um because we have been quite present in the past, yeah. right. That's how we've we've operated. But you know, we learned pretty quickly how to how to do that remotely. Um, you did know, you pick up enough, a different
1: cadence Did you pick up a different cadence? you know, because when you're in the headquarters and you're working together, you can run down the hall or run down a floor or go over to another building. Um, now you're not, right? Are you guys, did you change like we have a morning call,
2: we have an afternoon call or something like that or once a week call? Yeah, we we spend three hours every Monday morning together as an executive committee. And so the cadence didn't change, but the content did, right? We, We became much more focused on initially the crisis, right? And priorities related to the crisis. As we started to move through the crisis a little bit into early recovery, we started focusing, you know, on how do we drive a maximum share of the business available for our owners in the hotels. You know, mm-hmm. while there's not a lot of business there, we want as much of it as possible. And now we're, back, we're kind of lengthening our view. We're starting to think about the new normal. What is it we need to build now to be successful in the new normal in 6, 12 months?
1: Yeah, is there ever a new normal? Well, you we'll
2: know, I mean. Something.
1: Yeah, it's always a new something. I, people talk about that, you know, oh, the new normal. I go, when was it ever been normal? I've never known it to be normal in my life. It's never been normal, especially when you're in the C-suite. Hey, listen, your current role, you're responsible for a wide range of uh, entities. I mean, you got tech, sales, revenue management, enterprise data, analytics, marketing, customer engagement, a lot more. W- which have you found to be the most challenging
2: for you? Um. Challenging. Um. And during the pandemic, do you mean? No. Just overall. Yeah. Think, oh. you, you know, I would say the most challenging journey we've been on and we are on are, is the data and analytics journey. Yeah. Um. You know, because there is, there is so much gold in them hills. There's so much promise. Um bringing it to life, you know, we've started to achieve and make good strides forward. But there's a long way and it's a really difficult road. Right,
3: really yeah, do, do you
1: ever do you ever like like print it out, run for Hey, 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 everybody, pay attention to that. I mean, is that there's got to be some of those kinds of real nuggets like, oh, my gosh, look at this. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, during, during the pandemic, our data team put together this model that both predicted and also monitored. 190 markets around the world on a daily basis, and how they move through five different stages, right, from crisis to early recovery to recovery to stabilization, you know, and and that that was a you know a huge thing for us because that enabled us to suddenly personalize our action on a global basis against markets based on what those markets needed at that time. That was a kind of hey, look at this. Are there market.
1: any indicators? I mean, something that you see that occurs, you know, I, well, I used to be in the printing business. And I could tell you when the printing business started to slow down, we were in for some economic hard times because we saw it X numbers of months before it started to occur. Is there some of those indicators for you?
2: There is. I mean, we we look at now in that respect, uh, government restrictions are key for us. And we monitor those on a daily basis. We look at website searches for destinations and the volume of those, how they go up and down. We look at the publicly available mobility data of customers. So how far are customers moving? And is that expanding? Which it is. Uh, and then we look at our metrics, You know, our website, group leads. How many group leads are we getting on a daily basis for every market? So there's about seven to 10 indicators that we've put together in a way that seem to be good predictors of how markets are starting to recover.
1: Will that data still be good? Uh, this comes from Greg Greenberg. He was asking me, that, you think that data is still gonna be good when travel You know, opens up the floodgates open.
2: Um, I I think it will it will be good for a very short period of time, but very soon everybody will shift kind of into stabilization, and then that data set will become pretty much null and void, Uh, unless we need it because there are spikes and you know Uh markets go back into uh, back into negative territory, Um, and then we'll have to get back more back into the business we were in before, which is optimizing the available demand versus, versus searching for the available
1: demand. You know, Chris, I'm starting to see things open up. At least I feel feel that. You know, it's like we say, gut, don't trust the gut. But I'm starting to look at the data. I'm starting to feel it. But I'm also starting to really feel it. Like, I'm seeing people pay faster now again. I'm starting to see lots of things that are coming up. Are you getting a good sense of the outlook for the future is looking better?
2: Yeah, d- definitely. And, and I would say, you know, we saw a really good sense of improvement through the summer. We were we were fearful that going into September, October, you know, as leisure travel slowed and business travel didn't recover, it would drop off. completely, And it didn't. It just kind of flattened and continued to improve. Oh, well, there's no such things as weekends anymore. I mean, like,
4: <laughs> right.
1: I mean, you could let's just go Tuesday. We're, we're homeschooling the kids now. Let's just go. Right. I think
2: there's a lot of that going on. There is a lot of, yes, pleasure, as we're calling it. Yes, a bit of business and a bit of leisure.
1: Well, so Chris time. Westfall just said Blur's Day. It's Blur's Day, oh, <laughs> whatever day there. that is. I love that. That's a great phrase.
2: Um, and and we have seen a slight slowing over the last few weeks because of you know what's going on, certainly here in Europe yeah. and a little in the US. Yeah. Um, but we're hopeful. Get into January, February, yeah. um, we'll see it start to pick back up again. Well, we got some highlights.
1: We got a vac. We got numerous vaccines popping up all over around the world. I, you know, whatever your political opinions about that are, folks, nonetheless, it's going to help millions of people. Just like when we had vaccines for polio, a lot of people didn't believe in that. And look what it did, it eradicated it. So wear your mask, be safe, wash your hands, okay? And uh, social distance. Practice what we do here in South Dakota. We've been practicing social distancing since 1889. That's what
0: we do. C-suite radio.
1: Hey, Chris, thanks so much for being here on All Business and sharing with us. I'm going to turn this back over to uh, one of our television hosts, uh, Greg Greenberg from C-Suite TV and also head of our media and someone who should be on television just because, you know, unbelievable. Her glasses make her look like she should be on TV. Trisha Ben, one of my partners and certainly general manager for uh, C-Suite Network. Thanks so much. I'm going to turn it back over to you guys. So let's take some questions.
4: We have some great questions. Thank you so much, Chris and Jeff. Chris Westfall and Debbie Morazic had uh, a couple of questions that are really interesting. Uh, looking at coming back to Q two and three and four uh, next year, Chris, what are you expecting to see? Do you think that people are just going to actually, you know, just really come back with a vengeance in terms of what they want to do with travel? What's your uh, sense of the sentiment around travel and what it's going to mean, you know, next year and once we've kind of feel the the effects of COVID wearing off, and and what does that mean in terms of how you're building a Against the different markets, what are you what are you anticipating?
2: Yeah, and we um, you know see it slightly different across different segments of the business. So we saw in this summer just past that leisure travelers are really desperate to travel, and in fact, you know, in research we did, eighty nine percent of customers said their experience a kind of a travel memory deficit. Um, so. As we get back into spring, summer next year, we think there'll be pent-up demand and leisure travel will be exceptionally strong, if slightly different, maybe slightly closer to home, uh, maybe not so much into the biggest uh, cities. We think you know business travel um, will recover slightly more slowly. It will be dependent on vaccines, safety, um, care of duty, all those kind of requirements that companies have. Um, again, we think there may be a... A burst of activity when people feel safe because they've, you know, had a lack of meeting colleagues and traveling for some time, and then we think it will settle back down to slightly lower levels that we've seen in the past and, and growth year on year. Um, and we think the big, you know, group business will be the slowest. We think big groups will be back half of next year, but we will see more social, uh, leisure-oriented, sports, uh, you know, weddings, family gatherings. Um, you know, which are already starting to pop back up in, in some way, pop back up in, in qu- quarter two at some strength. So
3: Chicky Fitzgerald, one of our members, wants to find out uh, if you track drive travelers versus air travelers and then what you do with that data. I mean, do you treat the guests differently if they've flown in? Or are they more tired than the folks who drove in? What do you do with all that data you collect?
2: Yeah, and we don't um, track... Um, uh, the way a customer got to the hotel, we do know for you know, our 110 or so million honours customers, we know where they're coming from. So uh, if they're coming from home, in fact. So we have an idea of how people are moving um, uh, to, be, to be with us and stay with us. You know, we, we are working um, with airlines and others to see how we can help the customer experience be more seamless by, you know, having all parts of their journey more joined together um, so that there's connectivity. So if your flight is delayed or your flight is early, you know, customers may like it. The, the hotel knows it, so gets your room ready early or expects you to arrive late. We're, we're working to see how we enable that customer experience differently.
4: So, Chris, Lisa Levy is one of our thought council leaders in C Suite Network, and and she's leading an IP track for us right now on how to connect your operations and your culture um, to maximum efficiency and effectiveness. And she has a great question with you uh, for you in terms of your your data collection it's important and you can see it from the C-suite level, but how are you seeing it most effectively used or or what what are the challenges you're facing, et cetera, in getting that to your staff, you know, across the whole of the organization and really allowing them to be empowered with that data and move the needle forward.
2: Yeah, and and it's certainly, as I said, the data journey is one of the most challenging things. Um, You know, we've had some success in how we can feed data into properties to our team members who are standing in front of a customer uh, in order that they can have some context uh, to that customer. Um, Obviously, they've had for some time the context of who they are and how many times they've stayed with us, what loyalty kind of level they are. Um, But we're working to get more contextual information because we think if they can have a more contextual discussion engagement with a customer, then. That will make the customer experience better. I mean, further than that, and, and you know, very difficult, but uh, I mentioned earlier is is more using you know data real time in an event driven way. Um, so you know, for example, we have you know across five thousand or so of our hotels, we have um, digital key, which enables customers to choose their room on the app, choose the location, choose the room number, check in on their phone. Go straight to their room and open the door with their phones. There's no need to stop. You know, if we can uh, contextually give the key to the customer at the right time as they're arriving at the at the hotel, um, ensure that as they walk into the room, um, you know their um, preferences are being used in the room, whether that be lighting, temperature, entertainment. You know, that would be another way that we're trying to use the data to improve the customer experience. All really tricky stuff, but doable now with the technology and architecture that we have.
3: Exciting. Quick question. Um, This is my own question, is I've been, um, you know, I had all these points that I wanted to use in a particular airline that I haven't used. Are you going to be hit with a whole lot of
2: people cashing in points when when things open up? Uh, We hope so. We hope so. Um, You know, we, um, early on in the pandemic, we, you know, were some of the first to extend status to, you know, 2022, extend point expiration so nobody lost their well-earned points because they couldn't travel. Um and so, you know, we hope that when people feel safe, they'll they'll use their points and, and come and stay with us. That's what they earned them for. Good. All right, that was my question. But Evan Hackle has a question too. He
3: wanted to know how your franchisees are doing, your relationship with your franchisees. And you know, and I guess, since you're in charge of the data is are things different when it comes to the data at the franchisees
2: as opposed to what's going on in the corporate owned hotels? Um, so how are they doing? I mean, everybody across the whole hospitality space has been hit really hard. Um, uh, and it very much depends on um, you know the different uh, locations, how we're seeing business come back, or how we're seeing you know business levels remain low. Um so I, I would say, they're faring better because what we've seen is a shift of customers to trusted brands. So even though there's less business in the market, we see that we're getting a greater share of it because of the strength of our brands because of things like clean stay that we launched and that customers feel more safe and secure with a trusted brand. So they're definitely faring faring better. as it relates to um, uh, franchise versus owned. You know the the data we collect as an enterprise is kind of agnostic um, to to that ownership mechanism and how it flows to the property deliver customers customer experience is really agnostic to the ownership um, of a hotel.
4: Sometimes else just doesn't work fast enough. Um, so I'm I'm really fascinated and Chris when we just had a few minutes to connect before we started this call today, you know. As a business model, the environment is constantly one that we're adjusting to. We have our strat plan and we know what we want to do. And then there's what happens, you know, when we when we get out there in the environment. And you know, you have to make tough decisions. There are different things happening um, and, and they're all impacting the model. And I'm just curious, it's kind of a, a bit of a combination of a number of questions, questions. Um, Chicky Fitzgerald asked about you know the Hilton.com and getting points. Only if you're booking through Hilton.com, that's that's a big that's a big business decision. What does that look like? What does that mean? How did you come to that decision? How does that affect your business modeling? And 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 also as you look to technology, um, and uh, we've got some great questions. Brian Crum was asking about you know the use of the the app technology and and how you're applying those types of um, tools that maybe you thought you had a little bit more time um, in terms of the business model prior to
2: COVID. Sure, and I think there were two in there. the 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 um, The first one, which I think was, uh, points um, loyalty points only if you book through Hilton.com, um, and you know, being a member of our club um, enables us to offer a superior experience. You know, we have a relationship with the customer, uh, we know a little bit more about them. Uh, we're encouraging them to book directly with us because then we can offer a better experience. And quite frankly, if they book direct for us, it's also uh, commercially better for our for for us and for our owners um, because there's less need to pay intermediaries and third parties in that in that chain. Um, so that's part of the kind of rationale for a uh, you know awarding points when people join our club, book direct, get access to benefits such as points, free Wi-Fi, cheaper price, digital key, digital check-in, et etc the second part about the app um you know we were we were very fortunate that we have over the last couple of years scaled this contactless arrival to over 5000 hotels which is you know i think the biggest deployment in in hospitality because as the pandemic hit we saw usage of that feature spike you know it was suddenly even more important than before for customers to be able to And not only select their room but go straight to their room use their phone as their key uh, not have to stop uh, in the lobby not have to use a a key as handed to them Um, and so you know our focus there has been ensuring that that is um, scaled effectively reliable works for customers and i must say it's been hugely successful we've seen many more many more customers using it we're now expanding that so that customers can use their app to control their TV, to control their lighting, to control their um, their temperature. So in effect, their phone becomes the remote control for, for their stay. Um, we got that in about 200 hotels. We got a way to go to scale that.
4: Fantastic. I might know the company you're working with to do that. Um, they are part of C-suite. <laughs> Greg, over to you.
3: Just a quick question is, one of the things you mentioned is that you know because of the, uh, you're gonna lose perhaps a full year of data and travelers. So you may have to throw out all that data you've collected over maybe even decades. As someone who's in the data collection business, uh, how disappointing or frustrating is that for you? Because a lot of people that traveled before this pandemic may never travel again, and and you're going to have to start all over again.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think it will be hugely valuable in enabling us to really pinpoint and understand how customers are changing, right? that That before data, um, will give us the reference point for, you know, the the new state data, and to be able to um, see behaviors of different cohorts of customers uh, and how they different around the world, or different markets, or in different uh, segments. So, uh, you know, I think the data will still be useful. You know, one thing we're having to reinvent is the models we have built. You know, to react in real time to the data. So. Pricing models, you know, next response models. Certainly, we're having to rebuild, and you know that that that's unfortunate, but that's just just one of the implications of the situation we're in.
3: Well, Ursula White Oliver wants to know uh, how you remove the bias out of the data. Um, do you collect demographic data, and you know, do you use that data to find untapped markets?
2: Um, uh, and I guess in the um, in the B two B space. Um, We've used less sophisticated, you know, data uh, coupled with insight to find new markets to answer the last part of the question. You know, as as business dropped, we started to see that there were certain segments that continued to travel. Um, Of course, initially, that was first responders and medical, frontline medical workers were traveling. Uh, And then we started to see longer stay business, whether it be related to uh, projects, or whether it be related to, um, uh, you know, emergencies that were still taking on, uh, taking place across the US, and then we saw, you know, with children going back to school and college, we saw a whole bunch of demand for universities to have additional accommodation so that they could uh, accommodate their students safely. So, data is definitely helping us in that way find uh, new, new segments um, that we can go after in order to try and provide, provide business for our hotels. C-Suite Radio.
4: Herr Schoffer is one of our Hero Club members. He does work with hotels by day. And, um, and he's really curious about what your, um, what your thoughts are on that business model and opening up time slots for business uh, leaders to get out of their, their homes and just have a quiet place to work.
2: Yes, yeah, we, we've launched Workplaces by Hilton exactly for that reason. Um, uh, we know, I know personally, you know, I've been in this office for far, far longer than I care to uh, admit. Uh, and, you know, even if it's just one a day, having somewhere different locally to go to, um, even just the experience of driving somewhere and driving back from somewhere, um, you know, it, it seems like something people will need, especially as we watch how operations choose to change their office footprint and what that may look like in the future. The workspace by Hilton is there. It enables guests to book a day room, you know, from seven till six or eight till six, have access to, you know, free Wi-Fi, a good desk, you know, F and B if they need it. And we're in trial. We're seeing, uh, you know, a good level of demand uh, for that, uh, and we'll continue to enhance it uh, as we watch how it performs and how customers respond to it.
4: Now, uh, we have a question, Um, both uh, Larry Gulko and uh, Dr. Helen Turnbull uh, have asked questions related to the actual safety versus the marketing of the brand to say that certain precautions are being taken. And how how do you feel uh, you're doing in terms of walking that balancing act and um, and really being able to address those concerns and know that you're providing the safety and then also addressing it from a brand and marketing perspective?
2: Yeah, and, and we very quickly partnered with uh, the Mayo Clinic and Arby, who you know are the brand uh, owners of Lysol and Dettol, because we... You know, we were experts in consistently delivering a clean hotel room, a clean hotel, but obviously the environment around us was changing and we needed expert advice. So they advised us on the protocols we should put in place. Um, How frequently, for example, should the lift button be cleaned, the door handles be cleaned, the thoroughfares of hotels, um, you know, in the room, the high touch areas, what did we need to do to make them safe? so we relied on their advice we're kind of experts in how do you roll something out consistently quickly at scale so mm-hmm. we did that you know relying on their input on on how do you actually you know medically i guess make this as safe an experience as possible um so you know we feel great about the advice we get and we feel um, good because it's our legacy of how we've rolled it out you know at scale
4: how many years do you think covid has bumped you ahead in things like that oh.
2: yeah. Uh, you know, it, um, and this maybe reflects badly on the past. If we were to determine we were going to roll out a program like that, normally it would have taken us, <laughs> you know, nine months to a year uh, to come to fruition. So, certain lesson, there's certain certainly lessons to be learnt uh, in how how quickly you can move and how quickly you can execute at scale. Uh, you know, as they say, uh, you know, needs must creates, creates action
3: so it's interesting that you said that you're now getting into the the work office space arena almost to like WeWork um, did and it's just it's kind of similar to the way that um airbnb kind of got into your space into the hotel space and took some market share from you guys and i just wanted to bring up another competitor perhaps because dan silberberg says that about 20 percent of business travel was for intercompany meetings but given the ability of Zoom, uh, and is now able, people are able to work remotely, how does that impact your overall marketing? And is is Zoom a competitor for you? Do you, you get getting to the WeWork space just as being
2: Airbnb got into your space. And now Zoom's attacking you. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot lots to work with there. Um, so, as it relates to WeWork, you, you know, one of the unique things we have is we have a lot of individual secluded spaces, right, which are very applicable right now, which is very different, I think, from the WeWork kind of shared office model, and that's really what we are capitalising on. We have space which is concealed for you know individuals to work when they need a respite and they want to make sure it's safe. Uh, and so, I, you know, definitely adjacent but slightly different experience um, to WeWork. Um, with Airbnb, um, you know, and um, we've said this you know several times. It, it's definitely uh, a hospitality or a, or a lodging business, but we see it as quite um, a different uh, business to ours. We are in the business of high quality, branded, consistent experiences wrapped in the hospitality of our people, people serving people. Whereas Airbnb is access to spaces to stay, not really hospitality. And obviously, the variability of those spaces is higher by definition because it's a, a bunch of differently defined. Uh, spaces, so so quite different to 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 the business we're we're in 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 our mind, and that's why we haven't gone into that business. We don't think it's our sweet spot. Our sweet spot is high quality, distinctive branded experience wrapped in hospitality, driven by our culture. Um, and then I think the last part was Zoom, um, uh, and again. I don't think it's a competitor for what we do, hospitality, you know, high quality hospitality experience. It's definitely because people have learned to use it, you know, have had to learn to use it more. It's definitely going to take some some business. Uh, um, and you know that's why we're working out how we deploy more effectively uh, uh, against more segments. In order that you know we increase the size of the pie while some segments in the pie may be shrinking slightly
4: if i could ask you just one more small question and this is so important and uh and and brian searcy is one of our hero leaders he's the one who brought it to our attention with his question how are you handling the possible confrontations um in scenarios where people don't want to wear masks or feel other people should be wearing masks at those kinds of scenarios how are you uh, how are you um preparing your uh, teams to handle those scenarios
2: yeah I, you know it's it's very it's very difficult in some circumstances for team members um and we you know we pride ourselves on the quality of our training whether that be um, diversity, inclusion, unconscious bias training, which we roll out every year to all of our team members. Um, we rely on the strength of our culture. You know, we've put a lot of time into our culture. We've been named diversity, um, uh, not diversity, but great places to work, number one and number two, because um, we really believe if, if we have the right culture uh, and approach to our team members, then our team members will treat our customers in in a in a better way that is more congruent with the experience we want to provide so there will always be instances that have not worked out how we wanted them to however we think our training our culture how our team members feel about working for us is the key to ensuring those experiences are as, as good as they can be
1: Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I tell you what I learned from Chris. It's all in the data. That's right. You know, we always have these gut feelings. Uh uh uh. You better watch the data. Read the data. It's all right there. But you got to pay attention. You can collect all this data, but if you don't go looking at it, then it doesn't help you. So, what are you doing every single day to look at the data of your business? I used to call that the Z out years ago. You know, I'd hit this little button on the cash register. It was Z out and it'd give me all this information about how many sales we did, what was the average sale, how it compared. That's what I'm talking about. You need data to drive your marketing decisions and your business. But you know what you got to do? You got to get good data, you put it in, and more importantly, you got to get it back out. And if you get it back out, you can make some right decisions. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on
0: C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends.